Stories podcast. I am your host, Tom Callahan. Today, I am speaking with Greg White, who was the managing partner of Paradise Global Services based in San Diego, California. Greg, how are you today? Um, what is, what was Paratus? Hey, thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Uh, really excited to talk about a lot of the stuff with you today. Paradis was a company founded specifically to service a Deloitte financial services contract. So uh, a lot of things are networking these days. And I came from a background in IT, master's in computer science. I was a head of IT at an aerospace company for 13 years. Uh, the company did things like uh, software development on NASA, Mars mission projects, uh, weapon systems for the DOD. So I had this huge security, cybersecurity, IT background. And uh, after that, I, I went into consulting. And then uh, in my network was, uh, I was introduced to a person who owned a recruiting company in Connecticut. And it was an engineering print services, manufacturing recruiting company. And he always wanted an IT services division. So, I mean, he took me to play golf like 30 times, literally 30 times <laughs> to try to talk me into doing this. And uh, eventually I agreed to do it. It sounded like a challenge. And uh, I started working on it immediately, immediately loved it. Anything technical challenging is great for me. But the first contract I brought them was another person in my network, one of the managing partners at Deloitte. And Deloitte's a $60 billion company. You know, this recruiting company was a $30 million company and they didn't want the project. They didn't want this intro because it just changed their entire company paradigm and liability. Mm -hmm. So myself and, and two friends who were really deep into the corporate world, formed our own company, Paradis, and the partner at Deloitte just waved his magic wand and made us vendors in the contracting, advisory, and uh, permanent placement space, and we kicked it off. Awesome. So, and from there, the learning curve began pretty steep. Yeah, no, I know. It's especially like, you know, this, it like hits home to me and I understand so much of it uh, because, you know, coming from the recruiting space, I've, you know, I work with a lot of like startup companies and, you know, companies that are, yeah, maybe they're, if they have revenue at all, they're maybe in the, the millions um, or tens of millions. And so like small scale compared compared to like a Deloitte. And I totally understand the, um, you know, the scaling capabilities, like, okay, how do we hire a hundred people in one day? or something like that. And like, uh, I couldn't even fathom that. Um, and so I guess, um, backing up from like the beginning, like, you know, you said, you know, masters in computer science, like, how did you, when did you realize like you had a, a like love for like engineering or computer science and like the, like the IT systems, like how did that come about? Was it when you were a child? Was it when you, you know, were in college or school that just kind of fell into it? Uh, yeah, I mean, my dad was an engineer and an engineering professor, so I was always kind of around engineering and math and always liked science. But, you know, I grew up in like the mid to late 80s as the the personal computer was starting to make an appearance. And, you know, at the time it was like, hey, this is great. I can play video games on it or I can, you know, try to write my own programs. Uh, but I continued the path into engineering and Engineering at the time included a bunch of computer programming. I went to the University of Connecticut. They were a partner with United Technologies, and they had this language called Fortran that mm -hmm. UTC used and NASA used. And so, you know, semester after semester, I was programming into it. And, um, you know, I, I, I graduated school and immediately started working full time at an aerospace company. And started my master's program as well. I mean, I, I, I was in engineering, but I always loved computers and I loved it enough to start the master's program. 
And as soon as I started that, the aerospace company said, oh, wow, you're into IT. We need IT people worse than we need engineers right now. And they just evolved me into this IT position. And I ended up building the, the networks for the entire company. Yeah, that's it's uh, I get, yeah, so much just comes down to like the timing and like the environment you grow up in and what your interests are. And, yeah, coming of age, like when you're a child and computers are the cool thing, it's be like, I mean, it's probably kids today know how to operate a Nintendo Switch better than I, I could figure out how or like what, what it's even capable of. Um, and, and you know, and that all kind of bases off of what a computer is. Um, and 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 then you know getting into you know starting starting your own company um you know being able to i guess like you said like you kind of networked and kind of got wined and dined a little bit on the golf course to to join this other company um you know what was what was that uh what was that feeling like i guess like switching careers like hey you have all this it and engineering knowledge and then going to you know not necessarily doing it yourself but finding the people that can do it for other companies like how how did that become interesting to you i mean it was initially something i'd never considered you know kind of like making a switch from tech to almost human resources seemed like a massive gap but once you get educated in like what the actual tools are and how they work like even the tools are super tech mm-hmm. you know Five years ago when I made the switch, it wasn't AI, but now I'm using, you know, AI, chat GPT every single day for tools. But back then it was just kind of fascinating to see, oh, wow, you have access to 22 million resumes and you can search these and and with any Boolean string imaginable. It actually was tech in a way that I never expected it. And it was problem solving and it was having to use my background to screen candidates and see who was telling the truth and whose resume wasn't. And yeah, it was, it just ended up being more interesting than I expected. And also the opportunity to help people and, and work with people who wanted to uplevel their lives and uplevel their skills. And that was actually like a rewarding part that wasn't really in the tech component that I was working in. Right. And, and you know, I, like I come, you know, we're in the same industry and I come from the, you know, I don't have a technical background, but, and I had to learn a lot like on the job and, you know, came from a more traditional like sales type of background. Um, and, you know, do you feel like coming, you know, having that like IT experience, especially when recruiting people that were used to be you, does do you feel like you really have like a leg up just in like the conversations that you can really connect with these people? Because I know I had to work really hard on it and had to do so much on the job just to understand what what everyone was talking about. And that took, you know, years to really get decent at it. Um, and, but yeah, for you, like, what was that? I guess the, the transition of talking to 10, 15 candidates a day, things like that. Yeah, so the volume was a little wild to experience, but uh, it was, I, I found that I actually got respect and I didn't even expect that it would happen that way. You know, you'd speak to a software engineer and I'd say, hey, I was formerly a software developer and all of a sudden they'd be like, oh my gosh, we can talk about the same things, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it did, it did give me a, a huge leg up and uh, definitely an understanding of what they were talking about because sometimes software engineers talk at like a really, really high level in, in your calls. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun for me. I mean, I even learn from people all the time when I'm talking to them, somebody who's currently working on like a NASA space project, like I'll just go off script and I'll be like, hold on, this is fascinating to me as a tech nerd. I want to know more about this. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like you have, you've done, you've done it before you, you understand what's going on there. Um, and yeah, for, 
you know, how big, how big was the, was the company that you joined, like that you kind of like got recruited into uh, initially? Um, like, was it a smaller company? You know, I know you mentioned they were doing about 30 million in revenue, which, you know, is pretty good for a, a staffing firm. You know, it's, it's maybe not at like the big guys like Aerotech and the Robert Halfs, but you know, for a technical recruiting for 30 million is, is no joke. Um, like what sort of, like, was you working with mostly aerospace type clients? Like you maybe mentioned a little bit, or was it pure, just like, you know, like SaaS companies, uh, more like tech focused type companies? Yeah. So it wasn't a huge company, 30 or 40 people or something like that. You know, they were, they were leveraging offshore recruiters as well, but, um, you know, they had a ton of pre-existing clients. They'd been around 20 years. So they had lots of manufacturing clients that were now building IT. Everybody needs IT. You know, even these printing services companies needed IT. So uh, I was getting exposed to their existing clients and then trying to find, you know, my new clients via LinkedIn, Crunchbase, Zoom Info, every tool imaginable. And it, But it turned out, you know, that networking was the best way to find clients. Yeah. So doing like, yeah, I guess, you know, for those that aren't familiar, that's like full cycle recruiting where you are finding your own, you're finding clients. And then you're finding, once you get land the clients and, and like ink that deal, then you know, now need the real work of going to find them people where you can actually make money. Um, yeah. What, what was it like, um, fi- like finding clients? Like you said, like there's all these tools out there online, but I, I still am a firm believer. It's like the best way you're going to get clients is knowing people. And the best way you're going to get jobs is, is knowing people like you, it's so hard to just like apply to something or cold email it, it in the recruiting industry. It's like, it, it is, it is few and far between that. It really works, um, you know, to close business. It might open some conversations, but being able to close is, is hard because there's so much money that needs to be paid out um, eventually. Like, what was that? you know, especially going from an engineering side to a sales position, like, cause you know, that's true business development. And it's like, I, I gotta, I gotta get you on board to spend maybe a million dollars a year with us. Um, how do you do that? Yeah. So the cold outreach doesn't work that well. I mean, maybe in enormous amounts of volume it does, but you know, kind of developing a relationship with people that I would actually want to work with and they would want to work with me as well is, is the ultimate key. Mm-hmm. And you know, going to networking events or I mean, geez, playing golf seems to be this amazing conduit for me. Everybody out there, please start taking up golf. <laughs> uh, but uh, like the actual sales, the the gritty sales part of it was never like successful for me. It was always the relationship building and you know, liking the people that I was offering to work with in, in like a partnership rather than, you know, direct sales. Got it. Yeah. I think, yeah. Be, catching that, um, just like the chemistry that you have with, with your clients, like it's huge. And it's like, even if you're not the best, if, if you're easy, if you're better and nicer to work with, than the person that maybe has all the, you know, shiny accolades and all this, but they're an asshole. It's like, I'm going to go work with Greg because I don't, I don't hate it every time that his name comes up on my phone, giving me a call or he shoots me an email. I'm like, Oh man, I got to talk to Greg right now. Like that's, you know, it's uh, it's, it's, it works. And it's like, that's, that's how the best stuff's going to happen. I know from my personal experience, it's like, the best clients have been candidates that I've placed at other companies and they go on and do their own thing. And they call me like, Hey, I had a really great recruiting experience with you. Let's flip the tables and let's, I want to do some hiring now. Um, And, you know, I guess, yeah, once you would land that business, 
how did you make sure that you delivered, um, you know, with, with what they were doing? I imagine you were doing uh, a lot of like contingent, contingent search, um, or, and then probably do it, were you doing like contract direct hire, um, like full-time placements? Yeah. So if we talk about Deloitte, it was a mix of everything, but it eventually became a ton of contracting. So lots of W2 contract to hire positions. Okay. And I, I feel like the number one rule is always answer the phone. Like if your client calls you anytime, day or night, just answer the phone. And it's like that sort of responsiveness makes everybody so happy that they can reach you with any sort of questions or problems. And then from there, just over, over deliver. I mean, if we were getting a job order at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon. You know, some some recruiting firms out there, their employees might take the weekend off. But, you know, the beginning stages with Deloitte, we'd work all weekend and there'd be candidates in the hiring manager's inbox at 8 a.m. on a Monday morning. Mm -hmm. So you just completely over deliver in this way that it's easy for them to want to keep working with you and even more, uh, you know, give you referrals like like the hard work up front to develop your brand and your image pays off. Yeah, I think so. Especially like that first, like that first week is so important just for like, this is what I can do. And just like that wow factor, because there's a lot of bad recruiters out there. And I think that's no secret. And like the ones that do, it's like, if you could deliver quality and, and do it quickly, like that's, that's what everyone wants. Um, and, and being, yeah, just being able to get a hold of the person that you're, you know, paying money to, uh, is, is right. And the, yeah, responsiveness. It's like recruiting is not a nine to five job. It's like you, you know, I know I've, I've been on calls at 2 AM sometimes because someone's in a different time zone, but I'm like, I have to think to myself, like, is this worth, you know, is this worth, if this person gets the job, this is, you know, this is a paycheck for me. This person like gets the job and I, it's like, this is win, win, win all around. And just like, it saves, you know, 72 hours, which is crucial when, you know, when there's really hot candidates out there that are just like, Hey, this person can go get a job at four different places tomorrow if they want. So it's like time is of the essence and that relationship with the candidate, as well as the hiring manager and being able to mesh those is so important. Um, and, you know, with, with like that, starting at Deloitte, you know, showing them like that responsiveness, things like that. And your, you know, your previous firm, 30, 40 people couldn't handle it. What, you know, <laughs> what made you think that you and a couple of your buddies who have been, you know, it's like, you know, you've been in recruiting for a couple of years at that point. Like what made you think it's like, oh, I can, I can handle this. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> like what it's because it's fascinating. Cause it's like, you know, if that happened to me, I'd be like, I have no idea where to start. Um, you just got to, I guess, start from somewhere. But how did that, did the other two people have more recruiting experience or what was that like? Yeah, it was like entering uh, a relationship with like the most optimism imaginable. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, you're starting a business. You already have the client. You know, how hard yeah. can this be? But it turns out there are like so many things on the on the path that I didn't even know about, you know, like uh accounting, you know, in all of my college education, I never took an accounting class. Well, uh oh, yeah. now we, we need to know somebody <laughs> who's an expert in accounting. Um, but I think halfway through the middle of it, when my stress levels were at the highest, I, I probably thought if I'd known I had some of these hurdles to accomplish, like I, if I even knew they existed, I probably wouldn't have done this. Mm -hmm. uh, but once you're in it, it's just solve one problem, solve the next problem. And that's one of the biggest things I learned as part of this. There's always a solution to every single problem. Somewhere out there, somebody knows exactly how to solve this problem. There's an easy button. You don't have to grind it out for three to six months trying to do this yourself. 
Right. And, and yeah, I know you mentioned, you know, utilizing some, some like offshore sort like, uh, you know, services, things like that. Like, when did you realize, like, I can't do this with myself or three people. Like we pure, we need, like, we need bodies, but we not, don't necessarily have the revenue to hire full-time, you know, employees in the U S um, like where, what was that business decision like to, to kind of go offshore? Yeah, it was, it was just too much work and not enough, not enough bodies. So how can we bootstrap this ourselves to, to do this as affordably as possible? You know, offshore recruiters, we had a, like a part-time retired accountant who was working as a 1099, you know, 50 hours a month to, to do the, the bare minimum to keep everything in place and organized. And uh, as, as revenue grew, you know, you can kind of get a little bit more comfortable, but always remember that you're, you're a startup, you're building and, you know, you're, you're eventually trying to make money and, you know, get paid in this project as well, not just work 60 hours a week. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like you start a business for a reason and, you know, and it's like in recruiting, like making, making money is a lot of the reason. And, and, you know, on, on that, it's like, yeah, you're, helping people you're you're helping them understand their careers a bit more do you ever feel like you it's like it's like yeah in on paper it's a recruiter title or something like that but it's like do you feel like career coaching sometimes or where you're talking to people and you're just like what do you want and it's like is this role the right fit for you do you do you kind of take that approach uh sometimes with people Oh, oh yeah, absolutely I mean sometimes just giving people the floor and say hey is there anything I you know didn't ask you about regarding your experience of this job. You want to tell me, you know, just transparently tell me, you know, if this is what you're looking for and people will, will just open up to those questions. Yeah. And a, a lot of times it turns out that the job isn't what they're looking for. And it's, you know, it's great for them and for me. And then I can try to like help them or point them in the right direction or, you know, career coaching is a big part of it. Resume coaching is a big part of it. Uh, improving people's interview skills, even if they don't get hired for you. Yeah. I mean, that that is enormous. I, I see that every single day where I try to improve and give somebody suggestions. Yeah, I think like the like feedback is huge for everyone, especially because it's so, you know, with especially in job searches, it's really hard like to get detailed feedback. And I know a lot of companies like there's, they hide behind legal reasons why it's like, hey, you're, that's why you get those generic like, you know, we were, we were like, we loved your background, but there was several other candidates that fit properly. I think everyone in, in their, in the world has gotten an email like that when they applied to a job and they're like, what? Like, you didn't even like, how did you resume? <laughs> like, okay. Like, you don't know who I am at all. And, and I think it's like a little bit of feedback there would be help. It's like, what, like what on paper, I'm not mad that I didn't get this job. What I'm frustrated with is like, what, like I match everything on paper. Why, like, what could I have put differently or like, what actually are you looking for? And most of the time it's like, well, we got 50 people that have the exact same background as you. So it's like, you know, people don't understand how they have a 4.0 GPA. They got straight A, you know, straight A's through high school. They were in nine different clubs and they don't get in, in the, you know, perfect SAT or ACT score. And like, why couldn't I get into Harvard? It's like, well, you and you and 15,000 other people got that and applied in and they're only accepting a thousand. So um, like, you know, when giving feedback, like how do you get, were you able to kind of dig into hiring managers at Deloitte to give a little more detailed feedback when searching roles? Cause I'm, you know, I'm sure you hit points where it was like, I've been looking for, you know, this, especially full-time hires. It's like, I've been looking for this person for over two months now, like, and I've sent 15 candidates, but they're not hiring. Like, I need something, I need something 
more like because clearly what we talked about on the first meeting is not what you're looking for or we would have found it by now or there's there's a snafu in the in the in like the interview process that is making this more difficult than it should be um like how did you how did you kind of approach those situations so that was one part of the problem but the other one was compensation so deloitte is financial services, they hire IT people, but they're not a tech company. So there's a huge part of the market that's paying more than them. And a lot of the conversations with hiring managers are, hey, we have lots of great candidates. Would you be willing to expand your compensation to something, you know, without saying insulting like market value, expand yeah. your compensation a little bit for a great candidate. And it's always kind of like uh, walking this fine line to, to try to influence their decision and get somebody into the process. And, you know, you're, you're trying to create like a great client experience and a great candidate experience at the same time and bring people together. I feel like a politician. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It, it is. It's like, it's like, you need to understand what the client wants. You need to understand what the candidate wants and you need to find that middle ground that you could like, what are the big selling points here that I can really like hammer home and yeah, playing both sides is like, that's why, that's why recruiting is it's, that's why it's here. It's like, it's why it's a job and it, and it pays money is because that, that is a valuable skill set um, to be able to like close that gap and make, you know, get that person, the job, get that client, the, the uh, employee that they're looking for and both sides being happy. Uh, you know, it's a very similar to like real estate where it's like, you know, I can't, if I tried to just go out and buy a home myself, I'd be like, uh, I don't really know where to start looking or like how to do it. But if there's someone that is an expert and knows where the homes are, knows what market value is and can give me that feedback is like, is what I'm looking for in this price point realistic, then it's like, I, yeah, happy to pay, happy to pay them for their services. Um, you know, like very similar there. Yeah, exactly. And one of the other things that we did was there were situations where a candidate would have nine of the 10 tech skills and the 10th one was non-negotiable. They have to have this, even though they're exceptional at all the other ones. And we were able to talk some hiring managers into a, allowing us to send them to a boot camp. Okay. So even, even something as simple as Udemy.com, and it's, you know, we only had to pay $79.99 for somebody to take an 80-hour course in React Native or something like that. Hiring managers would say, sure, you know, they're a software engineer. If you send them to the boot camp, we'll hire them. And we had this Got success it. multiple times, which was like the, the best easy button. Yeah, I, I guess like, and, and I guess for a, a big company like Deloitte, like they probably don't read outside, like, I guess our color outside the lines so much as like a startup would where they're like, yeah, we are looking for React and Python. And, you know, if they have like, you know, AWS experience, that's great. But it's like, hey, I found you this person that has, uh, you know, they use Vue and Ruby and, and like GCP. Uh, but it's like, these are all adjacent skill sets. And you love working, you know, you love the companies they've worked at, you love some of the projects that they've done. It's like, can you make this work? And they're like, yeah, like if they're a good engineer, like they'll be able to figure it out and, and work within our tech stack as long as they're willing to. Um, it, which, you know, it's that's where kind of like the that recruiter, you know, thing comes in because if that person applied on paper and the hiring manager looked at them, they're like, well, that's not the skill set we're looking for. We'll pass and wait for someone to come in. Um, so, yeah, like that negotiating tactics are are huge and like be like, hey, you know, it costs you $80 to do this. <laughs> but but it can make you know the return on investment is huge uh, and yeah. you know it makes everyone happy and the candidate got a new skill set that they can bring with them the rest of their career um and you know 
was Deloitte like was that your was that your only client or was because I imagine they took up a ton of time or like did, were you able to kind of go in and work with other similar type of companies? Yeah, so we had several other financial tech companies. It was really easy to pivot from Deloitte to another financial tech company. Once you're a vendor of Deloitte, you look, you know, pretty impressive. So uh, Deloitte did take up the majority of our time uh, as we were successful within Deloitte. We got uh, introduced other partners and other projects, and it just kept growing and growing and growing to the point where actually Deloitte started uh, downsizing their hiring and moving more and more of their IT offshore, which is a really common thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we had success with other companies in the space, and it was really interesting to me to see how different the Deloitte culture was. So Deloitte is, you know, a financial services company and they're trying to apply that culture to IT, which mm -hmm. is a, uh, I don't know, a round peg in a square box or something. But uh, it was uh, it was successful at all these other companies as well. But Deloitte was just massive and monstrous with end endless demand for a few years. Yeah. I, yeah. Like having that, having that name brand client, I think gets you, it gets your foot in the door so many places. Like, Hey, if we're doing a good job for them and they've been a client for, you know, 12 plus months, it's like, all right, so they must be doing something right. Um, you know, you've kind of got that level of scalability, which is hard to do for any agency. I think that's why there's so many small boutique agencies and individual recruiters like, like myself right now. It's like, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't do $30 million of revenue in a year. That's huge. And like for, for Paradise, like, where did you guys like get like, like building revenue and like building a business? Like how close were you in terms of like, Hey, here's what our margins are. Here's what we need. Here's what we pay for all these services. And like, you know, having an accountant on staff to make sure like that our, our invoices are getting paid and they're getting sent out like on time. Like how did you, how did you manage? Like, I guess like the business owner aspect of it rather than just like the like day-to-day -day job. Yeah. So the scalability and the invoicing is really good that you bring that up became a huge problem because Deloitte is this random net 52 company. So not net 30, not net 60, net 52. Wow. So we had all these contractors working for us, W2 contractors. And, you know, we had to front yeah. six, seven weeks of payroll to them. And we had so many concerns about how we were going to scale. We we're trying to bootstrap like the payroll ourselves and from friends and family. And then eventually discovered uh factoring have you used factoring in your career no i haven't it, oh it's fantastic it's uh if you have invoices uh that are approved from a company you can sell these to the factoring firm for a certain apr so it's like okay actually monthly it's like one and a half percent a month and depending on who signed the invoices they give like a different credit rating and deloitte happened to be a plus yeah and so we went through this incredible application and background process uh, with this really cool company out of Florida. And they ended up extending us a million dollar line of credit for all of our invoicing. Cool. So as soon as that happened, we could immediately scale. And they were automated. Deloitte was automated in invoices. Deloitte was automated in their ACH payments. I mean, once that was in place, it was like a load off of our shoulders and you could focus more on development. Totally. Yeah. I, I, I've always wondered like how so many, especially smaller agencies, like how they really get, cause you know, there's a lot of money in, co in doing contract recruiting because it's that recurring income. You're making X amount off, off of everything. 
Um, but it's like, you, yeah, you, like you said, like you have to upfront the money and the standard what, for, for those that don't know, like net 30 means an invoice being paid after 30 days. Uh, and like net 52 is like, that's almost two months. Like that's a long time to, it's like, you know, you got to pay all the contractors that are technically working for you, like for your company, not Deloitte, um, you know, at least on paper and you need to pay them. Like, you know, that could be, I imagine upwards of, you know, tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars per month. Uh, which is a ton of money for, for a small business to, to be paying. Uh, so yeah, being able to, you know, you can sacrifice a little percentage of that, take the sweat off your back and wonder and not have to be like, okay, like I don't have to deplete my bank account every single month um, and, and, you know, live like scavenge around for money for a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. And I, that's a really, I've, I hadn't heard of that. So that's uh interesting thing because i've yeah i've done purely you know full-time placements um and it's basically like you know you get you get big big lump sum checks rather than like one small you know or like a bunch of you know ten dollars an hour markup or things like that um yeah fascinating um and and i guess you know from you know with with paradise like you know you, you were doing it for a few years like was there you know was there a point where you were like Oh my God, like, what am I doing? I like, this is a lot more than I can handle right now. Or like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, did, did you ever get to that point, you know, either from like the recruiting side or the business side or understand like when to kind of like take yourself out of the, out of the day to day and be like, I need to delegate a lot more of this stuff for my own sanity and health and, and business. Yeah. that was definitely in the middle of the project somewhere. Uh, that that was uh, like a work-life balance check. I had very limited life at that point as I was trying to get the business going and you know doing everything I could. Um, the factoring getting in place made a made a huge difference. But there were other things that you know I had never seen coming. All of a sudden, you had to offer benefits and you had to offer vacation and you had to offer 401k to these candidates who wanted 401ks, and like the scale of things that I had no idea I was going to to deal with was really, really overwhelming. But I mean, it just came down to like a step-by-step -step learning process. You know, somebody's doing it. We've got to be able yeah. to do it too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, over time I needed more and more help. And that's when we started offshoring some of the work, which made a you know, huge difference to me. Totally. Yeah. I think, I th and I think people don't realize necessarily how expensive it is to have employees on your staff. Like, you know, if you're making a $50,000 a year salary, that's costing the employer probably about $70,000 a year when you factor in like the cost of benefits, you know, if there's a 401k match and then like the payroll taxes that come out of every single time you run payroll, the employer gets charged money uh, to run that payroll, not to mention the payroll that they're actually like, you know, using ADP or Augusto or, or something like that. So it's like, there's so many expenses that are not just like what your employee is taking home. Um, yes. It's, it's yeah. The tax system is a, a totally different, different conversation there. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and then, you know, you've since then, like you've, you've moved on from, from Paradise. Like what kind of brought, brought that move about? Like, when did you, like, how did you kind of come to an end there and transition to, uh, you know, a new firm? Yeah. So Paradis, uh servicing these huge Deloitte projects and they started winding down as they started offshoring. Yeah. <laughs> kind of ironic. They started offshoring their work too, to save money and to have more <laughs> available time. Um, but, you know, the learning experience was insanely invaluable, you know, learning full desk recruiting, 
uh, managing clients and, and candidates, doing all of this under crazy amounts of pressure and high volume. And I, I just learned efficiency after efficiency after efficiency. And then, you know, once Paradise came to a close, again, networking, uh, somebody in my network referred me to this amazing search company in New York City that services uh, series funded and startup funded companies who have tons of money and they wanna hire the best, most elite software engineers in America. And that is totally my jam coming from, you know, a software yeah. engineering background and like a, a high pressure, high volume situation. So uh, I got engaged with that. It's one of the coolest things I've ever done. You know, there's some $50 million valuation company out there and I've built half the company or right. I've helped filled, fill half the company. And I get embedded at these companies now too, where I do the 30 to 60 minute technical screening instead of the hiring team. So I'm like their first line technical screening where I talk about, you know, everything I learned from my software days. That's awesome. That's like, I think, you know, I, I understand like the fact of, yeah, having like clients where you truly feel like it's like, I'm an extension of you, especially, and you're not just doing the, like a, a, a recruiter screen where it's like, Hey, I can talk at a high level, things like this. And like, understand like, Hey, we're, you know, making sure you live within distance to the office or in a place that we can support remote work and what you want for compensation. Uh, not just those questions, but yeah, being able to actually take, take that hour back from the hiring manager, like, Hey, because I can do this, like, I'm going to save you probably 40 hours over the course of like per role, because you don't have to, you know, stop your day, do a one hour interview with a candidate and then do that, you know, 10 times for just one position because, and I say, it's like, oh, well, 10 times that makes 10 hours. It's like, well, that's not really how the human brain and work and workflow processes work. It's like, it's like, if I, if I'm interviewing someone at noon, I probably have to stop what I'm doing by 1145 and, and be like, okay, I got to prep, make sure I understand this person's resume, figure out some questions. And then after that hour, you're probably taking like, I need to catch my breath you know, get something to drink, eat some lunch, things like that. It's like, by the time you're starting work again, it's two o'clock. So it's like, it takes double the amount of time that it does on paper. Um, but yeah, having someone, having an outside resource that's able to do that is insanely valuable for, especially for startups where so many people are on the ground. Uh, you know, it's like the, the hiring manager is super involved with like the coding that might be going on or, or things like that. And yeah, it, there's, it's, it's really cool to see like companies out there that you, you're like, I know, I know half this company personally, they have my cell phone number in their, like in their thing. And then it's like, when one goes big, you're like, whoa, like, I wish I maybe got paid a little bit more <laughs> in equity in this company versus, like, <laughs> versus cash. But you know, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. Um, and now I think, you know, and how was that? How does this feel a lot different than maybe, you know, working with Deloitte? Again, you know, I know we alluded to it, earlier, <laughs> probably not as much red tape, but, um, you know, what for you, what is it like? And I guess now it's like, you know, you're not, you're not the business owner anymore. Do you find this to be kind of like a, a you know, sigh of relief a little bit? Yeah. I mean, there's zero red tape compared to Deloitte. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it is really enjoyable to just do something you're good at and you enjoy without the, all the added responsibility of being a business owner. I mean, I loved being a business owner and being an entrepreneur. It was fascinating working for yourself and and kind of, you know, controlling what went on on a, on a daily basis in terms of like revenue and expenses and decisions. Uh, but but this is this is awesome. Just doing the technical part of it and 
I get to still be tech, you know, every month there's some new technology in a job description that I've never heard of before. And I've got to take a class on it to understand, you know, what the heck they're talking about. And uh, I mean, it makes it a lot more fun for me, honestly, this side is a lot more fun. Yeah. I think it's like, as long as you're, as long as you're enjoying the work that you do and you're making a living, it's like, that's, that's the dream right there. Uh, I love that. Um, Yeah. But Greg, I, what are you, I guess, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up here, like, what are you kind of most excited for in, you know, the next, you know, you've been in a new role for, you know, about, you know, over half the year so far now, um, like, what are you most excited for in this role or like on the personal side of thing or technology in general or the recruiting industry? Like what's, what's invigorating and lighting the fire in you right now? Yeah, it's all AI, as you probably hear from <laughs> a lot of people who come on your podcast, but just watching the things that happen you know ChatGPT is famous but OpenAI who owns ChatGPT has like eight to ten other products and one of them is called Whisper AI I had to uh, learn some Python and install Python on my laptop to get it to work and it takes any mp3 and records it uh, transcribes it in 95 different languages into you know a total transcription of the conversation and then you can use ChatGPT to query it and summarize it so basically, it's eliminated any note taking and stuff like that. Um, and then using ChatGPT to, to write Boolean searches and everything imaginable uh, AI. And I'm a little worried that at some point it's going to eliminate my, my career. <laughs> um, the closing part where a recruiter is closing a candidate with a client, I don't know if AI can take over that. But, but right now, just like watching that evolve is, is fascinating. And, um, you know, I even spoke to somebody who was laid off from OpenAI, a recruiter last week, just to hear their perspective of the company. And they said it was just a flat out rocket ship where you're working 80 plus hours a week trying to build this insane company. Yeah, totally. And, you know, obviously there's been a lot of recent drama with with OpenAI that happened, uh, you know, just a couple of weeks ago when we're recording this. Uh, But yeah, I agree. I think like the AI in the recruiting industry, it's like, you know, Boolean, like, like it ruled everything and like LinkedIn, yeah, like you needed to use LinkedIn. And now it's like, uh, there's a lot of different AI like companies out there that it's like, I can type in real sentences, like find me a senior front end engineer with six years of experience coming from, you know, with a computer science degree and maybe has worked at this one of these six companies at some point in their career. It's like, okay, here's 340 results. It's like, wow. Like, I think, I think those functions, like, like you said, like for recruiting, it's like, the search capabilities and like being able to put like, you know, a list of candidates together and even like, even writing, you know, emails and like, you know, connection requests to candidates to get their attention. Robots will probably be doing that. If they're not already doing it now, like they're probably doing that within the next year or so or a couple of years for sure. But that human element, I think is just like, it's so important to recruiting because it's like humans are hiring humans here. Like we're not, they're not hiring robots yet. Um, and it's the same thing. It's like, you know, if indeed.com or ZipRecruiter really worked for these, especially like startups that are looking for very hard to find, very specific types of people, we, we wouldn't have jobs right now. Uh, right. You know, it's, it's, so it's like, it hasn't happened yet. It could happen, but you know, what can we be doing from our end to get ahead of that and make, you know, be as knowledgeable about AI and, and how, we, how to leverage it for recruiting and kind of, you know, keep our game up rather than just being like, well, I'm just going to use LinkedIn Recruiter. And like, cause it worked for me seven, <laughs> seven years ago. It's like, 
let's not it's not seven years ago anyway like you're gonna you're gonna get you're not gonna be able to be marketable as a candidate pretty soon if, if that's all you know so um, right yeah. yeah stay on stay on the cutting edge it's fun it's yeah. fun it's rewarding for sure yeah it's cool and it's like you see like and it's like there's competition in the space too like there's not it's not like one company is doing everything. It's like, oh yeah, I can find I can find six different companies right now to that I can do AI searches um, through, which is which is great for competition in the market. And the best will come out alive and make make more revenue and get probably get acquired by OpenAI at some point. Um, probably, yeah, probably. <laughs> so, um, anything else you want to uh, to mention, Greg, before we kind of wrap up here? I mean, one of the other things that I do, I guess, from a philanthropic side, plus because I enjoy it, uh, I get, you know, as you must, random connections on LinkedIn all the time for people looking for jobs or networking and everything like that. And I am constantly offering people mock interviews, resume reviews for for free just to kind of, you know, help people in any way that I easily can. So I'm doing that as I'm growing my network on a daily basis. You never know who you're going to meet that's going to be, you know, super cool and influential as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, beyond that, just I'm just enjoying the ride as I, you know, try to get better by like 1% every single day. And uh, I think there's a famous Thomas Edison quote and said, most people miss opportunity because it's wearing overalls and looks like work. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just love digging in and uh, getting better. Yeah, I love that. I love that attitude. And yeah, the, the, you know, being able to help people, it's like, while this might not be, you know, I might not have something for you right now, we can keep connected. And if there's someone I know in my network, like, you know, you were able to connect. So I'm glad, you know, definitely share that, that viewpoint. And you never know, you never know where these relationships land down the road. You know, it's like, it could be 10 years from now, be like, man, that guy was really nice to me when, even though like, he couldn't make money from me right now, or like, I couldn't, I couldn't buy anything that he was selling or something, but they under like people remember good people for sure. Yeah. hundred um, so percent. Love that. And Greg, if people wanted to get interested in that, like where can people find you online plug away right now? Um, anything <laughs> to, to get in contact with you? Yeah. Uh, find me on LinkedIn. I'm on there daily, multiple times a day, interacting with people, job searches constantly, of course. So feel free to reach out. I'd, I'd love to help connect in any way I can. Cool. Love it. Um, uh, everything will be linked in the episode. And uh, Greg, I appreciate you jumping on today and uh, hope everyone enjoyed today's episode. Thanks, Tom. Awesome. Awesome to speak with you. Really appreciate it. Yeah.